Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Well, good morning again. Good morning to everyone joining us online. Um, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. That's going to be our main verse for today. It will be up on the screen. However, I encourage you to open up to your own Bibles. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. I want to talk to you today about who you are in Christ. More specifically, I want to talk to you today about who you are as the people of God. And there's a number of different ways that the Bible, that God describes his people in the scriptures. And in each of those different ways, they speak to how we, um, it speaks to our identity in Christ and how we are relate to Jesus and partner with him in the kingdom. Okay. Um, and the main identity I want to emphasize and drive home today is who we are as the church. Because Jesus said, as we're going to read, that he's going to build his church. And the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. Okay? So let's read Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 15 and go down to 19. Um, and just for a little background as you're turning there, Jesus has been at, he just asked his disciples, who does everyone say that I am? And his disciples are responding, some Jesus, some of them are saying you're a prophet. Some of them are saying you're Elijah. Some of them are saying um, this or that. But then he asks them this piercing question that he, the same Jesus is asking to each one of us today. And it's who do you say that I am? Verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And as my dear Methodist friend will go on to say, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, someone grew up <laughs> Methodist or Episcopal. <laughs> I grew up in the Episcopal church, so we always said that. This is the word of the Lord, and we bless God's name. So I'm going to try that again. The word of the Lord. Yes, we're saying thank you, God, for his word. This question, again, is a, is a sword to every single one of our hearts. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, a number of us have grown up in the church, and we've heard what other people have said about Jesus. We've heard what our parents have said about Jesus. We've heard what our pastors have said about Jesus. We've heard the podcast and what they're saying about Jesus. But there's a crucial moment in every one of our lives, and it's not just one moment. It's actually many moments in your life, <laughs> I've found, is that this question comes back directly to us. Who do you, Luke, say that I am? I'm talking to Luke Jackson here. Who do you say that I am? Because this question, um, the answer to this question was of absolute importance and would become the bedrock foundation upon which Jesus would build his church 
from that point on into eternity. So he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And his answer is interesting. He, Peter, he gives the right answer. How many of us, when we, we grew up in Sunday school and were asked the question <laughs> and we knew the right answer, and that right answer is Jesus, yes. <laughs> Anytime in Sunday school, we train you to learn the right answer. But, there was, but Peter, when he said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that wasn't the Sunday school answer. Pretty much everyone in here probably has the Sunday school answer. But the, what came out of Peter's mouth caused Jesus to respond in a striking way. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood have not revealed this. This is not just the Sunday school answer, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And as Peter had a revelation of who Jesus is, a few things happened. First, Peter got his name changed from Simon to Peter, which means rock, which means stone. And Jesus says, upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. He's going to build his church. He's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And we're going to go on to the next verse in a few moments. But there was, there was a release of identity over Peter. There was wisdom about how Jesus was going to build his church. There was a power and authority that he said the church would have. And there were keys given to the church for binding and for loosing. Okay? So, um, how many of you were here last week as Tracy was giving her message? Okay, a few of us. So, I just want to give you the heart of her message there. Um, you can still understand the message today without having heard it. But, um, but it really cut my heart last week. Because what, what her appeal was to everyone, and she and I have talked about this since then, and we've talked about this message today. We want you to understand who your identity is as the people of God. And Storehouse started, we started as a house of prayer. We didn't start as a Sunday morning expression with a church, with men's groups and women's groups and outreaches and all those things. We started in John and Tracy's side living room. And I found my way into that little side living room when I was 23, 24 years old. And I would just sit in a chair as worship music was playing. And I had grown up in the church. But there was something about Jesus that I learned in that chair that I couldn't learn anywhere else. Sitting at the Lord's feet, hearing his words speak over me, and him opening my heart and opening my eyes. Where he can say, Matthew, who do you say that I am? And I can speak and I can answer because he's told me. And that's our identity. That's who we are. That we are the people of God. And we are, we, when, when we're saying we're not a church in the sense that we, we didn't start as a church, we didn't start as a church. We didn't start with the Sunday expression. We started in a prayer room. We started playing CDs and worshiping and then coming together and declaring what we were seeing and hearing from the Lord. And that is the foundation of this house. 
gazing at God and governing with him. And that is your job description as the people of God. To gaze and to govern. Gaze upward at Jesus in worship, in prayer, in adoration. But then you're seeing when, we, when we're worshiping and adoring him, when we're even just sitting in quietness of his presence, we're gazing, excuse me, but we're also hearing and seeing. That something is happening in your soul and in your spirit that is unlocking who Jesus is and what his will and his purpose is on the earth. So as we gaze at him, we're watching and we're seeing, and then we govern with him, we release what we've heard, what we've seen. Binding and loosing. Whatever you bind, whatever you forbid, devil, not happening in my city, on my watch, will have been bound, will have been forbidden in heaven. Whatever you loose, whatever you permit, yes, God, bring glory, bring revival into my city, bring healing, bring your glory into this, into this room. Whatever you come in together as a church that's based on this revelation of Jesus and you loose it, it will be loosed in heaven. That is the kind of authority that God has given his church, okay? So we're a house of prayer because it says in Isaiah 56, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, okay? That prayer is going to be, and not just a house of prayer, but a house of prayer for all nations. And so the the nations will gather together in God's house to pray. And what does prayer look like in the house of God? It looks like gazing. And it looks like governing. It looks like gazing. And it looks like governing. It looks like looking at Jesus, hearing Jesus, adoring Jesus, being filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who he is. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Knowing what is the hope of his calling and the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints and that exceeding greatness of his power, power to bind, power to loose, power to bring heaven to earth that is for the saints that has been given to you through this man, Jesus Christ, by that same power that raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father above every name that is named both in this age and in the age to come. Come on, people. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the Father's right hand above every power and dominion. That same power is alive and it's working in the saints. And that power starts to awaken and starts to activate on the inside of us when we're gazing at the one who is risen and seated at the Father's right hand. And then we are lifted and exalted up in him, Ephesians chapter 2, and seated in Christ, in the heavenly places. And from that place that we gaze and we govern. We gaze and we govern. The house of prayer is the church. The church is called to be the house of prayer. And so when we say 
We are a house of prayer. We're not a church. We, we're not a church in the sense that we're not an American church that's here just to play church. Okay? We're not here to just come Sundays, do a nice baby dedication, take a photo, go back to work and get beat to death by the enemy and see the world go to hell and just say, God, when are you going to come rapture us out of this thing? That is not what we are. That is not who you are. And that's not the kind of church that Jesus died for. That's not the kind of church that Jesus raised up and seated in him in the heavenly realms. Amen? He died for a church that would be the temple of the living God. He died for a church that would have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of them and that resurrection life and power and that governmental authority. What do I mean? The kingdom, the power to bring heaven to earth. That's what governmental authority means. That God's government, God's will, God's power comes down into the earth through the saints. This honor have all the saints. Psalm 149. So, There's a lot more happening here than what we see with our eyes. And we've got to learn to start getting our hearts unlocked by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that comes through gazing. That comes when we come and worship in here for that first however long, 45 minutes to an hour. Some of you are like, wow, y'all really worship a long time. Because we're unlocking hearts and we're gazing at God, at God, at God. <laughs> And the, our, the, our understanding is flooded with light. And we start gaining the knowledge of his will. And we start getting transformed. We start getting freed of that bondage and that oppression. Because we're gazing. But it's also lifting us up into that realm of governing. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The book of Revelation gives us a picture of this. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, John is taken up in the spirit into this marvelous, glorious worship scene. I mean, we've got four living creatures with eyes all around them. We've got 24 elders robed and seated and crowned. We've got an innumerable amount of angels and the saints that have gone on before us. In the heavenly places, on that big giant crystal sea, Revelation 4 and 5, and the Father is seated on his throne. And I tell you that God wanted to give John and God wanted to give the church a vision of his government, of his beauty, in the context of a book that unfolds the greatest trouble that the earth has ever seen. God is shaking heaven. He is shaking the earth. But he is locking our gaze in to the one who is seated on his throne. He is fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And he's empowering us to bring his kingdom on earth. So we see worship and prayer in Revelation chapter 4. And these angels are holding these bowls of incense that are full of the prayers of the saints. And so our prayers in here are incense that is mingling with the prayers of the saints in heaven, and it's causing heaven to come down to earth. This is illustrated very powerfully in Revelation chapter 8, where the angel takes the prayers of the saints into, a, into an incense thing. 
we call it a thurible in the Episcopal Church, but uh, <laughs> I mean just every Christmas. And I was, you know, on those all. I was on the altar team. I was an altar team way long ago. I mean, literally, an altar was there, <laughs> and so um, and they were swinging that thing around, and incense was going. I mean, you just wanted to pass out. Um, but <laughs> I learned not to volunteer for to be the thurifer. I was like. <laughs> I think I'll hold the cross at the back of the room. Um, I'll sing in the choir. They stand away on the opposite side of that incense. Um, but it's a picture. What I love about the, the liturgical churches is that they are, they're prophesying what's happening when we pray. That, that what was happening with that incense, uh, that little thurible, is what's happening in our prayers when we worship and pray. And it's going up into heaven. And in Revelation 8, that angel takes those prayers. He fills it with fire and he throws it down to the earth. Gazing governing. That's our job. Now, the church, this keys of binding and loosing, this authority to take a weather storm and say, God, (laughs) not today. You know, when this last storm hit, um, my wife and I, my wife, we love, we love Joseph Prince. His ministries. I don't. We we just kind of feed on his. There's a number of our favorites. He's. We love that guy. Anyway, he was doing a, a worship conference, and we were um, we were at that conference when the tornado hit. And actually, we would not have known at all that that was going on. Um, and so our phones our phones start buzzing, and it's like, okay, these tornadoes are hitting. And I'm just like, God, we're in this stadium. I don't know if anyone on stage knows what's happening right now. So I just start praying Psalm 91. Okay, you know trouble. Ah! the world's falling apart. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Say Psalm 91. There's trouble. The news that there's an attack. There's a, there's a weather. What are we? Church, what do you say? Very good. You get in that and you declare it. And I start declaring that. And I start praying that. I pray it over the whole room. I pray it, um, I pray it over my house. Nothing touched that building. That night, we were out in Grand Prairie, um, and so not a lot of damage happened out there. But I mean, these tor- there were 10 tornadoes out there. I start declaring Psalm 91. I pray over our house. God, protect our house. God, bring protection. And I mean, I don't, as, as we were driving home, we had like 10 text messages. Are you guys okay? Are you guys alive? I mean, seriously. I mean, this, this thing did some damage. And so we're, you know, we spend the next 30 minutes telling everyone we're okay. Um, we drive home, and... All this damage happened in this vicinity around us. It did not touch our place. It did not touch us. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And so some people have been affected. Some people maybe in this room have been affected by that. And I just want to tell you that the next time you hear trouble, you get in Psalm 91. And if you have been troubled by this, you start saying, Lord, you're going to work this together for my good. Because I tell you, some Christian tree-cutting business right now is beginning to prosper. I'm not joking. I'm just like, why don't I have a truck? If I had a truck, I'd be banking right now. Um, Or just volunteer, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) there's always that too. (laughs) Um, And our power was out for a day, and they said it was going to be out for like three days. I was like, okay, so we're like taking our, our groceries to my wife's work, okay, and so just so our, all of our perishables. Um, and then, but then I'm just like, Lord, you know, it'd be really awesome if this power came back on tonight. That was Monday. That evening, we get home, all of our power is back on. 
Gazing. Governing. Gazing. Governing. We have the power to unlock things. And there's power when we come together in one heart and one accord. And we see in Acts chapter 2, this is what was happening. They were gathering and they were waiting. So the appeal, why do we have a prayer room? Why do we have it? I mean, people that are newer here, you see a church with a prayer room. I came back when it was a prayer room before there was any church. And that's really what we are. We're a prayer room now with a church. But we are a prayer room who is a church. (laughs) We are, but this word church in the Greek is ekklesia. It is not just a Sunday morning expression. It's not just a building. It is God's governing assembly. It is the saints and angels in heaven partnering with the saints on earth to bring God's government. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we have a prayer room? Because we're gazing at God and we're seeing, and we're hearing, and then we get the will of the Lord, and we're governing, and we're releasing his light, and his life, and his power over our city. I want to share one more testimony, and then I want us, I want us to go into this. We're going to do this today. I'm going to have worship team um, come back up. Um, in fact, I'll just, uh, worship team, I'll just have you start making your way. One of my favorite stories, as far as what we've done here, as a house of prayer, who is a church, who is a house of prayer. And I want to emphasize that because we're, as a house of prayer, we're calling the church, the whole church, into her identity. We're calling her into her role as a house of prayer. We're calling her into her role as kings and priests, who gaze as priests and who govern as kings. But one of my favorite stories is um, when the, um, a few years ago, 2012, I think it was, um, we were, uh, we were praying. some of you are probably familiar with this story, but we had, uh, the, Dallas was hosting the Super Bowl. And when the Super Bowl comes in, statistically, the sex trafficking goes, just skyrockets. I mean, by like the tens of thousands of women um, and children that are trafficked into the city. And, and statistically, that number does not go back down. The Super Bowl comes in, and that thing stays up. And so we were partnering with churches. We were partnering with other houses of prayer that don't have a church expression, a Sunday expression, or whatever. They, they just meet to pray, though they are the church. Um, but um, we're partnering with, uh, with Traffic 911 and Anti-Trafficking Ministries. I mean, we just call to the wall here. We start opening up this prayer room, and we start saying, God, not in our city not on our watch. And we worship, we come in, in the presence of our enemies, raising hallelujah, but then we come down back to earth and we're saying, not today, Satan. Not in Dallas, Texas today. And there was a dream, um, uh, well, before the dream, that's just the city was covered in ice. Covered in ice. I actually couldn't even make it to the prayer meeting. I had to pray at home. Almost got in a wreck, like pulling out of my driveway. <laughs> I'm like, I'm praying at home today. Um, but I, I re- for the whole week, the whole city was shut down with ice. And we are in communication with these sex trafficking, um, 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 organ- anti-sex trafficking, anti-sex trafficking organizations. Um, <laughs> anti, anti. <laughs> um, and they did not see a spike. They did not see a spike in this city. 
And there was a dream that somebody had where they were in heaven and Jesus was crying. And out of his eyes were coming ice cubes. And they were coming into his hand. And Jesus says, this is my just ice. My justice is being released in the earth. (laughs) Beloved, this binding and loosing, this governing comes from a place of gazing. Jesus says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. The one that had a revelation, not by human flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And how did Peter get that revelation? He walked close with Jesus. He sat and listened to Jesus. He sat at his feet and he heard his words. He walked with him. He followed him. When he didn't understand something, he asked questions. When everybody else left because Jesus was too weird or too intense or too offensive, Peter said, Jesus, I can't go anywhere. You have the words of life. And he began eating those words of life by continuing to to, to, to be in that presence of gazing at Jesus. And then the Father, not flesh and blood, but the Father revealed this. This is the Son of the living God. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And Peter was ready to follow him. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. On this foundation of gazing at God and receiving revelation, they will have the power to govern, the power to bind and loose. I want to share one more dream that I had this past week that really gripped me. Um, And I hope will grip our hearts today too. Real brief dream. The storehouse had been through some kind of um, some kind of trial or experience, uh, um, some some kind of trial of a sort. Um, and then, and I remember feeling like, "Wow, that was really intense." But we made it. We're here. And the Lord showed me one individual uh, that, in the midst of that trial, had a such a powerful encounter with the eyes of Jesus. She saw Jesus's eyes. And this this voice is speaking to me in this dream. It said that she saw the eyes of Jesus and she will never forget these eyes. She won't need to conjure it up. She won't need to remind herself like this was so deeply embedded into her. And I'm feeling, it's hard to convey now telling you, but in the dream, it was just like, I knew that this encounter with the eyes of Jesus had made her so firm and steadfast that she would, that it was just like a new unshakable trust in Jesus had come. And I tell you this, um, she, she had given herself to prayer. And I, what I think she represented is that those that will choose wholeheartedness to Jesus to say, I'm not here to play church. I'm here to gaze and to govern as God's ecclesia. I'm here to not just to be the church. I'm here to gaze. I'm here to see his eyes. And it made her steadfast. It made her firm. It made her unshakable. And in the dream, I kneel down and I start praying. I said, Jesus, I want to see you in this way. 
I want to see your eyes in this way. I was jealous. And I started, I started weeping and I started groaning that I would have this kind of encounter and that storehouse would see Jesus in this way. And so I am picking up from what Tracy said last week and I'm making an appeal to you to dedicate your life to gazing at Jesus, to governing with him. And I tell you, I, I believe this is the word of the Lord this morning. Do not say, I don't have time. I set back the clock. I create time. I fill you with my spirit. I know that you're tired. I know that you're weary, but I am the God that says, come to me if you are weary and need rest. I am the one that said, I will strengthen you with power through my spirit. Will you say yes to this invitation, says the Lord? Will you say yes to gaze at me? To see me in this way. This is for you, church. This is not just for Tracy. This is not just for the one in my dream. This is not just for storehouse. This is for God's ecclesia. This is for you. This is for the church across the nations. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Will you gaze and will you govern? Will you trust me with your time? Will you trust me with your heart? Will you stop saying, this is not for me? It's going to look different for each of us in our individual lives. But I'm appealing to you today to say, Jesus, I want to gaze and I want to govern. What does this look like for my life? What does this look like for my family? So I'm going to have a stand right now. Thank you.